Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Jeff Gatz, News Radio WRBA. It is a Thursday afternoon, and we have a lot that we are dealing with. Uh, my old buddy, Dr. Keith Ablo, is going to be here at uh, 535. Always, always, always uh, look forward to uh, to chatting with him. Uh, the, uh, I don't know, the debate such as it was last night, I don't know. I don't know that anybody was swayed one way or another. I got to tell you that uh, we have all heard this phrase, white flight, right? Everybody's heard it. Question for you is, do you actually know what it is? Do we know what it is? Do we know what the true story of so-called white flight was? Jack Cashel is uh, one of the finest uh, writers around, and he has a brand new book out. It is called Untenable, the true story of white ethnic flight from America's cities. And I'm happy to say he's joining us. Jack, thanks for being here. Hey, Jeff, uh, thanks for uh, having me on. I'm pleased to talk to someone in Richmond now that you're being sung about every, even at the debate last night, if you noticed. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, I am slightly north of Richmond, but I don't fall <laughs> into the rich men north of Richmond category, I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my best, though, but hey, uh, this is an interesting read, and it, it's described, uh, one person described it as part memoir, and that to me is, is what stuck here. Tell me a little bit about what motivated you to write the book and, and, and where'd you come from with this? Yeah, I, you know, I've been wanting to write it for a long time, Jeff. I, I grew up in the middle of a uh, America's most comprehensive social experiment I, and the sort of the Petri dish of it, Newark, New Jersey, uh-huh. while the experiment was taking place. And uh, we suffered in Newark every form of governmental abuse you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. And then when it all went awry, when the city, uh, you know, when the, uh, the the city collapsed and the riots broke out, and uh, they had to blame someone, so they blamed the people who left rather than looking inward and saying, you know, maybe we did something wrong to destroy the black family and the black community and the harmony between blacks and whites and to drive black, white, Asian, Hispanic people out of our cities. Maybe it was our fault. No, they wouldn't do that because that's mm-hmm. that would take too much personal responsibility. So they blame the people who fled, but they only blame the white people who fled, blacks and Asians, Hispanics, who fled for exactly the same reasons. And I cite in the book several prominent examples of the same, including Michelle Obama. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's a fascinating thing. And, you know, I should have written this 20 years ago when my parents' generation was still, you know, alive and kicking. Yeah. 
because I, they they demand they owe they're owed that kind of vindication. And just at least the truth. I, I, and that that is so vital that the truth get out. You know, you're talking about Newark, New Jersey, Jack. I grew up in Philadelphia. Uh, it was yeah. it was the same thing. We didn't see the same sorts of riots that you saw in Newark, New Jersey, but we certainly experienced. I uh, will say unrest and and the same situation existed in philadelphia where families some white some black said oh wait a minute i don't want my mom getting mugged on the street i don't want my kids getting right. jumped while they're going to school no 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 we're out of here we're going to bucks county or delaware county and that's where they went but you're right it was only the white families who were blamed and that became this this term now white flight you know i uh, jeff i you're right I, I talk about all the cities across northeast north central united states i'm sure richmond experienced much the same thing in some of his neighborhoods. But I lived in a neighborhood that in 1960, you know, I was still preteen or whatever, but it was a a Democratic neighborhood. It was uh, several people uh, that I contacted described it as idyllic. They used that word. You wouldn't think of that in terms of Newark as idyllic, but by 1975, the city was unlivable. And the neighborhood was. And I asked a friend of mine uh, who was one of the, what happened too, when people left, they became Republicans. Because they saw how their uh, their exile was being interpreted by the major media, and they resented it. And so, but one friend of mine who was the last guy out on our block, and uh, he remained a Democrat, one of the few. And I asked him finally. I said, you know, his his wife is kind of woke. She's hovering in the background. He's trying to be careful. I said, Artie, you got you were the last one out. You were living there with your widowed mother. Why finally did you leave? And and he said to me, Jack, well, it became untenable. And I said, what do you mean by untenable, Art? He said, well, when your mother's mugged for the second time, that's untenable. When your home's invaded for the second time, that's untenable. Now, the problem is the moment he decides to move, which, you know, to get his mother out of there, it only made sense. Uh, then he becomes a, a racist. He becomes a uh, a participant in the great uh, exile, the white flight, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for 60 years, they've been telling, they've been mistelling this story. And I was fortunate, you know, because I've written, I wrote 15 books before this. I finally got the opportunity <laughs> to tell the story. <laughs> you, you've written some amazing books, by the way, throughout the years. I am, uh, I'm happy that uh, that you've written this one as well and that you're joining us. So, so, so who was it? Number one, who is was it that coined the phrase "white flight"? And and give us what their 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 motivation was to to beat on it over and over and over again. You know, I couldn't name the individual, but uh, the whole phenomenon of the '60s was accompanied by a couple things. One is that. In the cities themselves, uh, just really seriously flawed social policies were leveling neighborhoods, uh, you know, and uh, they're also uh, rewarding fatherlessness uh, among all families. Black families were most vulnerable because they were the most recent immigrants to the cities. Uh, and at the same time, almost to justify what they were doing, the, uh, like the liberal progressive media establishment had to find a culprit. Yeah. I mean, these cities were collapsing. They were breaking out in flames and riots. And our, our riot in Newark in 67, you know, 25 people were killed. So they had to find someone to, to blame. And, and who was handy were white people. Mm-hmm. And yet at that time, you know, ours was such a heavily ethnic neighborhood. There were four immigrants from 14 countries on my block. And 
So we tended to identify by our ethnicity. I'm Irish. Newark was also heavily Italian, heavily Jewish, heavily Portuguese. Um, but we're all lumped together as white people, right? And then, you know, we're white, but, you know, that lumping just flattened out all the distinctions among us because each ethnic group responded differently to the pressure. And blacks were not, uh, were, were not thrown in with us, but they were doing the same thing. And I tell the story in the book, for instance, of Whitney Houston's mother. Well, Whitney and I were born in the same hospital. I taught her everything she knows. And, uh, <laughs> right, uh, except about how to, how to live her life. Yeah. And so her mother says, you know, her mother came up from this, her father's, her mother's uh, father came up from the house, hardworking guy, Christian, supported eight children, you know, through the depression, working like a, you know, in a foundry, takes care of the mother, sends all the kids to church. Uh, so Whitney is living as a child with her mother and her father in a, and what, what uh, Sissy Houston calls a cozy little village. And then Sissy turns to her husband, John, and says, the crime and drugs are getting out of control here, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is, she's saying this in her memoir. And then she says, and then the riots came, and she turns to John and says, we have to leave the city. And they do. They move to the suburbs. Yep. But they move blamelessly, right? That's right? Same thing with Michelle Obama when she left her neighbor in Chicago. Or Kanye West's mother. When she got driven out of her Chicago neighborhood, she writes, call it black flight, call it whatever. But if they're going to, you know, mug my little Kanye, we're out of here. And, uh, and the phenomenon goes on today. It's been uh, ramped up today. There's kind of a white flight 2.0 going on now, except the people fleeing are the same people who are writing the editorials so they don't castigate themselves. <laughs> Shocking, right? Absolutely <laughs> yeah, right. shocking. I was, Hypocrisy. Uh, yeah, you might say. I, by the way, i got to tell you that uh, one of the things that I thought was so interesting, and you're talking about uh, uh, this Roseville location, and yeah. um, you're talking about Katz's. You're talking about the Jews in Roseville, and I just read that, and while I'm not related to Rose that I know, the uh, the story <laughs> resonates with me, man, because it's uh, it's something I had heard about as a kid, and I saw it in, you know, some some segment here or there uh, growing up in Philadelphia about the same time you were growing up in Newark and dealing with all of these things through the years. Right, and there was a, there was a fair amount of ethnic friction, but it never got, uh, you know, in, in, in our neighborhood, uh, there were too few Jews to, to be a force of contention. You know what yeah. I mean? There was, like, there weren't rival gangs, right? I and I... And I talk about Mo Berg, uh, who came from my neighborhood and wandered around right around my block. I didn't even know he was there. He was a famous uh, spy, baseball player, et cetera. um, And there was a lot of friction between the Irish and Italians and the Germans and the Irish before that. But it never reached the point of muggings and home invasions and mothers being mugged and that sort of stuff. That came in with the 60s. And that came in, and it was, uh, it's not to say that blacks were... uh, the only ones doing that, but they became identified in the public mind with that. And, uh, and it was a, a new phase in the life of urban residents and, uh, an unwelcome phase. And the, the prime principal victims were blacks themselves. You know, I talk about the Columbus homes and, uh, how it's transformed from a home, a housing, huge housing project filled with, uh, nuclear families to a huge housing project filled with, uh, Broken homes, you know, fatherless homes. Yep. And the people who were there, the blacks who were there first with their little families, got run out. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't deal, deal with it either. So 
we were all victims of uh, Lyndon Johnson's Great Society and its many tentacles. There's no doubt about that. Jack, I want people to get this book. Now, I know it's available on Amazon, but is that the best way to get it? How do we help you the most? Well, you know, my website is cashel.com. And actually, you help me most by going to Amazon because that's where publishers keep score, right, okay. today. Okay. You know, so it's just, even though oddly I buy all my books through Barnes & Noble, ah. but I have to... I have to encourage, I encourage people to go to Amazon because it's actually it's a brilliant service that they provide, and it's available in audio and in uh, uh, ebook. And I did the audio myself and uh, with my uh, New Jersey accent, so it's authentic. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Uh, now, uh, great read. Uh, Cashill dot com is the website, but get the book through Amazon so they could Jack and say he's sort of a. Uh, up there, high level, make sure he's got another book coming. Hey, if you don't mind, I'd love to get you back, talk about some of your other stuff as well. Oh, anytime, Jeff. Happy to do it. And uh, it's odd how certain things stay in the news forever, you know, yeah. especially my books on Obama, uh, which uh, uh, they are, I think, going to be part of our life for the rest of our lives. They <laughs> are indeed, and I, I've got a sneaking suspicion they may come back front and center sooner rather than later. Jack, I... Uh, uh-huh. I appreciate you, Peter, man. We will talk soon. That is Jack Cashel. His latest book is called Untenable, the true story of white ethnic flight from America's cities. Every demographic group left cities that were becoming filled with violence. But the only folks who were tagged and attacked and demeaned were white families. Take a look at Jack's book. 345, Jeff Katz, News Radio, WRBA. All-Star Closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.